Well, good morning, everyone. It is, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, for those who maybe haven't seen me in a while or you don't know who I am, my name is Josh Mutter. I'm the lead pastor here at West Heights Community Church, and I've been on vacation for a couple weeks, and so as Chris so lovingly mentioned, he's like, welcome back to work, finally. So... Uh, it was all in fun. Anyway, it's a good time away. I trust that you had a good summer as well. Uh, you know, Lisa, you know, highlighted so many great things about what's coming up in our fall ministry schedule. The corn roast is this Saturday. It's hard to believe. It's already so soon. Uh, there is an email going out this week that will give you the, uh, all the details that maybe you've missed so far to remind you when and where and what to bring. So be looking for that. Um, if you're on our mailing list, it'll be coming out to you later on this week. But one thing I wanted to mention was uh, this event is uh, off-site. It, it happens in the country. We love it there, but that might be difficult for some of us to get to because we don't have our own transportation. If, that is, if this is something you want to go to, don't be shy. Uh, send us an email at the office or talk to maybe Sarah or myself this morning. Sarah, do you want to put your hand up there? Uh, we would love to help you get there, and if you are somebody who's willing to drive people, let us know as well too because we want to make sure that anybody who wants to go to this event can and that transportation is not an issue for this. This is one of my favorite things that we do every year. Um, it's one of the first events that we attended at West Heights, and it was always stuck in my mind as being something that really captures who we are as a church community in a really beautiful way. So this week, school starts on, not Tuesday, but Wednesday, okay? So in case you didn't know that and you've got little kids in your life, uh, you need child care arrangements for Tuesday. That was a bit of a shock for one of our neighbors this week. Um, school starts on Wednesday, and with that comes a whole host of emotions for both the little people and the big people. And so this morning, as we prepare for our teaching time, I just want to spend a couple moments just praying for back to school for everybody teachers, students, those of you who are in college, university, those who are teaching at that level, this is a big week, and we want to just ask for God's blessing to be on it, and so please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for today, and Lord, we want to thank you for the rest and the relaxation that so many of us enjoyed over the summer. Lord, a change of, uh, of pace, a change of routine is good for us, and now, Lord, as we uh, are here today, we are looking ahead at a new year, and with the, with the prospects of routines coming back that have been long since forgotten about, Lord, we are looking, for, looking to you to just bless this change. In particular, Lord, we, are, we want to pray for our children, for our teens, for our young adults as they begin this new school year. We ask that you would bless them with friends, that they would make new friends, that they would reconnect with old friends, and that these friendships would be life-giving and helpful in, in this stage of development. We ask, Lord, that you would, would help them to have new experiences with new things, that their minds would be open and they would be able to learn, Lord, and that they would grow as a result of what happens this academic year. Lord, we do ask that you would help them to have a love of learning. God, that this year they would, there would be breakthroughs and things that seemed hard before, Lord, that they might be able to get in new and fresh ways. Lord, we ask that you would replace fear with joy. We ask that you would replace anxiety with peace and tiredness with energy. Lord, for our students, we ask that you would protect them and keep them safe this next year. Lord, we also want to pray for those who are responsible for educating our students, for, for caring for our kids and, and walking with them in this journey of learning. Lord, we ask that you would grant them wisdom and patience and joy as they serve their students. Lord, that this week is full of uncertainties for our educators as well. Lord, that this week they would know your peace. 
And Lord, it is our prayer that these classrooms, whether they be for junior kindergartners or up in our college, university, and grad students, Lord, that these classrooms would be places of safety and they would be havens of learning and growth. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the opportunity to learn. We are grateful for those who have been gifted to teach. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, be a, that you would bless this, the year that is ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that I am hoping will be different for this school year is that our kids can just be a little bit healthier than they were last year. Because last year for us was ridiculous. The kids caught every cold that came through the school twice. And so uh, it, 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 at first it seemed kind of humorous. It was kind of a running joke with our neighbors that one of the kids was sick yet again. But quickly that humor dissipated because it, it got to the point where if both kids went to school every day for a week, we wanted to celebrate. But there was a little part of us that was superstitious because, you know, you don't want to celebrate too much because maybe that might throw the whole thing off. You're not generally a superstitious person until something like this happens and then I'm all the suspicious that can be, possibly be. And you know what? In the grand scheme of things, it, 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 it was just colds, okay? Nobody was seriously ill. It was just colds that came and went or never disappeared. But honestly, it wore us down, and it felt really hard at points last year. But you know what? As hard as that, that felt, I know it's just a cold. And I know that many of us here in this room, many of us who might be watching online this morning, are dealing with some much harder things. And you're like, oh, a cold. I'd love to have a cold, really, compared to some of the stuff that I'm dealing with. You know, some of us are dealing with some serious health concerns, and, and maybe we have ongoing treatments, and we aren't really sure where the end's going to be. For others of us, we are, are, have been tasked with caring for loved ones who are really struggling right now. And some of us are dealing with financial burdens, and including underemployment, and, and these are just a few of the things that, that are weighing us down that feel really hard right now. There's lots more things. We could go work around the room and we could brainstorm, couldn't we? And it would be a long list. And we haven't even mentioned the stuff going on in our world. So far, this is all like things that we might be experiencing personally. But if you look at the news, we're looking at natural disasters. We're looking at wars. We're looking at politics. You know, the reality is it doesn't take much for us to, to think about how life can just be really hard sometimes. And as we struggle with the hardness of life, we might find ourselves asking questions about the various things that we're experiencing. I mean, is what we're experiencing somehow our fault? Did, do I deserve what is happening to me? Do the people that are experiencing, do they deserve it? I don't really know. Or maybe we find ourselves blaming others. This thing that's happening to me, it's their fault. They are responsible for this. I don't understand why, but it's their fault. And maybe as we process these hard circumstances of life, we find ourselves asking questions like, where is God? Like, shouldn't God be doing something about these things? Like, isn't he supposed to be this loving, caring being? Where is he, and why isn't he changing things? And for some of us, that last line of question can, questioning can feel scary because it can feel really disrespectful to question God, right? Like, we kind of feel like maybe we're not supposed to do that. But if we're honest with ourselves, it can be hard to not question God when life gets hard. It can be hard to not question God when we come face to face with suffering, whether it be our own suffering and hardship or whether or not it's somebody else's. It can be hard to not question God. Now, if you've been tracking with us over the course of this summer, the focus of our teaching time has been looking at the book of Proverbs as a source of wisdom that can help us navigate life. And I want to say thank you again to Dave for helping us with this teaching series and for uh, essentially 
wrapping up Proverbs, what we talked about, our lessons from Proverbs last week, and I'll kind of get to why he's wrapping it up, but we're still in this series in, in just a moment. But by way of reminder, the Bible is made up of a bunch of different genres of literature, which means that not all the books of the Bible are the same. Some books call, are, tell a story, we call these narrative. Other books lay out systems of expectations, we sometimes call these the law. Others are poetic, and we, we, the, maybe the best-known one is the, the book of Psalms. Uh, some books contain preached messages to God's people. Uh, these we call prophetic books. These are the books of the prophets. The Gospels are the apostles' experiences with the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then the Bible also contains letters, which are written to specific groups of people that are addressing certain circumstances and, and, and situations. And then there's this funky genre called apocalyptic literature, which always captures our imagination, but we're never sure what to do with it. It's what we find in the book of Revelation and in portions of the book of Daniel. And I decided this morning that at some point, at some future time, we're going to have some fun with apocalyptic literature, uh, but that might take a long time for us to work through. Um, but we should really come back to that because it captures our attention, but sometimes we, we find ourselves reading it and be like, what am I supposed to do with this? But understanding that there are different genres in Scripture is important because it can help us appreciate our Bibles better. It means that we don't look at all books of the Bible exactly the same because they will not only read differently stylistically, but the genre itself gives us a clue about how these pieces of Scripture can speak into our lives. And so as we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, we've been looking at a book that is a part of a genre of literature called wisdom literature, which is about how do we live a godly life in a complicated world? And wisdom literature tends to be down to earth, it tends to be practical, and examples include Proverbs, which we spend a lot of time in this summer, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job, which we're going to look at today. And so this morning, we are moving away from Proverbs, and we're going to look at the book of Job as a potential source of wisdom for us as we reflect on our experiences of suffering or the experiences that other folks have with suffering. But as we do, let's keep in mind that the wisdom of Job isn't about settling the question about why bad things happen to good people. And that's a legitimate question to ask, by the way, but it doesn't settle that question the way that we might want. Instead, what the book of Job does is it, it seems to come alongside us in our experience of suffering and, and becomes a support to encourage us as we journey through suffering. And so the big idea that we're exploring this morning is that when we are radically honest with God about our experiences of suffering, we find ourselves in a place to experience God's wholeness and joy. Now, the book of Job, this morning we're just going to do an overview of it. We're going to read like a very small amount of it this morning. And so maybe later on you'll want to read through the whole thing on your own. Um, but we aren't going to do that this morning, so you can relax. It's 42 chapters long. We won't get to it all. But the book of Job is a profound and a unique book of the Bible. See, it takes place in a, in a rather obscure land that is far away from Israel, which most of the Bible set in. The main character, Job, is not an Israelite. And the author is anonymous, and there, there, there's not a clear point in ancient history that this book seems to be set in, okay? It, it seems, and it seems that all of this ambiguity is almost on purpose, as if the author doesn't want us to be distracted by historical questions, but instead wants us to focus on the story of Job and the questions raised by his experience of suffering. Now, the book of Job begins like this. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. 
In other words, Job's a good guy. You know, he's just a good person. And then from here, we are transported to the heavenly realm where God is sitting with a team of beings. And among these heavenly beings is a figure called the Satan, which in Hebrew means the accuser or the prosecutor who's watching everything that's happening here. And in this scene, God presents Job as being truly righteous, but the prosecutor pipes up to challenge God and suggests that what God should do is let Job suffer uh, just to see how righteous he really is. And you know what? God agrees, and the accuser afflicts suffering on Job. Now, it's at this point in the story that we might assume that this book is going to answer the question about why God allows good people to suffer. But this is not the point of the book of Job. And so it actually would encourage us to recognize that this opening scene is not necessarily a description of how God does business. Rather, it's setting the stage for the series of conversations that are going to take place that actually move us in a bit of a different direction. And as we keep reading, we're going to realize that the questions that are being asked are, is God just and does he run the world according to justice? And what we read, what we come across, is actually the response to these questions. Although we don't get the answer to these questions, but we see the response to these questions. And actually, when we get to the end of the book, the ultimate reason for why Job suffers is never actually revealed. Now, a number of years ago, Michelle and I had the opportunity to be friends with a wonderful couple who are among some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. They were quite wonderful to us, and we had the privilege of working with them, as well as just going to church with them. They were fantastic. But as we got to know them, and as we got to know their story, we got to realize that their story was, was, included so much what we call hardship and suffering. There were health concerns, there was infertility, there were painful family dynamics, there was a sudden loss of employment. Actually, the employment thing kind of went up and down a whole lot. I mean, these were some of those people in our lives who, who seemed to have a list of things that go wrong. If anything could go wrong, it seemed to happen. And it was natural to wonder what was behind all this pain because it just seemed like a lot. In fact, there were some well-intentioned people who seemed to insinuate various possible reasons why they were experiencing the hardships that they were. I mean, were they being punished for something? Was it a lack of wisdom? Had they just been a little bit smarter? Maybe they could have avoided the circumstances they were in? Were they cursed somehow? And while I never said anything out loud, and I'm very thankful for that, I confess that there were times when I started to wonder as I tried to make sense of their circumstances, you know, what was going on here? And I started to allow my mind to go places where I came to some baseless conclusions. As we read through the book of Job, we are reminded that our best attempts to explain or understand suffering often feel very inadequate. Now, as we read through the book of Job, we realize that our best attempts to explain or understand suffering often feel inadequate. You know, the beginning of Job ends with a very confused Job, whose wife just can't stand him, being approached by three friends who are going to give him some advice. And these three friends represent the best of ancient Near Eastern thinking about God and about suffering. And so what happens are three back-and-forth conversations, and really they're more like debates than conversations. And these, con- these, these, these debates focus on three questions. Is God truly just? Does God run the universe on principles of justice? And, how should they, and if that's the case, if God does run things on principles of justice, how should they understand Job's sufferings? How are you supposed to make sense of this? And the assumption that Job and, and, and his friends make is that every single thing that happens in the universe should operate according to strict principles of justice. 
And this assumption means that if you are a wise, good person who honors God, then good things will happen to you. And conversely, if you're evil and you're stupid, then bad things will happen to you, and that must mean that God is punishing you. Now, throughout this debate, Job is consistent in his conviction that he's innocent. And so the idea of that his suffering is the result of some sort of divine punishment doesn't make sense to him. And in fact, if we remember how the book of Job begins, we know that this is, in fact, not true. That, you know, Job hasn't done anything wrong. And, and as a result, Job concludes that either God doesn't uh, run the world according to justice, or even worse than that, that God himself is unjust. Now, as friends, they come to a bit of a different conclusion. They say that God is just, and so it must be that Job has done something really bad. In fact, they even start to think of possible reasons why, possible things that Job must have done to, to deserve the things that, that had happened to him. But through all of this, Job maintains his innocence, and eventually he gets fed up with his friends, and he takes his case directly to God. He says, nuts to you guys, I'm going to talk to the guy, guy himself. And as we read Job's appeal to God, what we are witnessing is a man on an emotional roller coaster. I mean, he used to think that God is just, but now he can't reconcile that with his experience. And so there are some very emotional outbursts in what Job has to say to God. He calls God a bully at one point. He goes as far as, as, as accusing, of accusing God of orchestrating all the injustice in the world. But at the same time, at the same time, he says that he hopes and he believes even that God is truly just. In short, Job is all over the place in what he has to say to God. And the section ends by Job again asserting his innocence and then demanding that God show up and answer you know, Job's questions. Show up and explain yourself. From Job chapter 31. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. In other words, show up and speak for yourself. Now, it's at this point another friend shows up who argues that God is just and always operates the universe according to justice. But unlike Job's first three friends, the conclusion he comes to is a little bit more sophisticated. You know, the reason why Job is suffering has nothing to do with punishment for past sin, but suffering is a warning to help people avoid future sin. Or that God might use pain as a way of uh, a building character or, or to teach people valuable lessons. You know, this friend doesn't claim to know why Job is suffering, but the one thing that he's certain of is that it's wrong to accuse God of being unjust. And you know what? Job doesn't even have time for him. He doesn't even respond to him. And just like that, the conversation with his friends are, uh, with friends are over, and we get the sense that the best answers, the best attempts at answers that people could give have come up short and have been terribly unsatisfying. You know, folks, when we've gone through situations that, where we've experienced hardship, we, you know, we might have well-meaning people in our lives who try to give answers for the things that we're experiencing, but isn't it so true that often there's just something that just feels lacking about those answers? Or even the answers that we try to come up with, they just feel unsatisfying, like it isn't quite scratching the itch. It isn't quite getting at the heart of what is going on. I think that's what we see happening in Job's story here. In my lesser moments as a parent, I can jump to conclusions. I'm sure I'm the only one who does this. I tend to jump to conclusions. And the other day, I, was, I heard a banging noise coming from a kid's bedroom. And what it sounded like was somebody taking a bedroom door and slamming it repeatedly against something else. 
And so, of course, I heard this and I started yelling, okay, it was yelling from the other side of the house. And, but when I finally got to their room, I found that there was another explanation that was absolutely perfectly reasonable. Nobody was doing anything wrong. But the reality is I just didn't have the perspective necessary to make sense of what it was that I was hearing. This kind of thought, we don't always have the perspective necessary to understand, you know, leads us to another observation from Job. And that is that our limited perspective means that we have a limited understanding of our experiences of suffering. It doesn't mean that we aren't, what, we, what we are experiencing isn't genuinely tough, but we aren't seeing the whole thing. And so in response to Job's demand for an answer, God shows up. You know, Job says, show up. God says, okay, I'm showing up. And he shows up in a storm, and he personally responds to Job. And God takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe, asking him all these questions about the order and origins of the universe. And the point that God is making is that he, God, has eyes on all the details of the universe in ways that Job has never conceived of. And so all the details, if we were to read it, we'd be reading about these details about grazing habits of mountain goats and how deer give birth and the feeding habits of lions and donkeys. All these details are about expanding Job's perspective. See, the assumption that Job and his friends have made is that they have enough perspective to make claims about how God ought to run the world. And what this virtual tour is all about is about deconstructing these assumptions by showing him that the universe is vast and it's complex and that God has eyes on every deal, every detail of the vastness and the complexity of this universe, while Job only has a very limited view of what is happening. In fact, God goes on to invite Job to micromanage the world for one day according to the rule of justice that Job and his friends want. He says, go ahead, try to punish every evil deed of every, every person at every moment with precise retribution. Go ahead, just give it a try. And the fact is that a world like ours is, is complicated. It's complex, and things are never as black and white as we or, or Job and his friends seem to think that it is. And this leads to God's last point when he describes two creatures that he calls the behemoth and the leviathan. And I should have shown a picture of Canada's Wonderland because we've got two big, huge rides at Canada's Wonderland named after these beasts in Scripture. Now, some people think that the, the, the behemoth and the Leviathan are poetic descriptions of a hippo and a crocodile, but it's more likely that the behemoth and the Leviathan refer to well-known creatures from ancient Near Eastern mythology that are used elsewhere in the Bible as symbols of the chaos and danger that exists in, our, in the world. Now, interestingly... In Job, these creatures don't appear to be evil. In fact, God seems to be quite proud of them. But they are not safe, and they are not tame. And this is, this is to remind Job that God's world has, has order and has beauty, but it's also wild, and it's sometimes dangerous. And so we come back to the big question about why there is suffering in God's world, and God doesn't give Job an answer to this. He doesn't give us an answer to this. In fact, as I've been reflecting on this over the last couple weeks, I wonder what kind of answer would have actually satisfied Job and his friends or even us. What kind of answer would have satisfied us? You know, what kind of answer to the why did this happen, why did you let this happen question would satisfy us in those moments when we are dealing with per personal tragedy or when we are witnessing other pe people close to us suffer or when we're reading the headlines. 
And I would hazard to guess that we might have a hard time figuring out what, the, what that answer would be that would satisfy us ultimately. Rather, what God does is he points out to Job that he can't possibly have a big enough perspective to understand all the things that God does. And what he does is he invites Job to trust God's wisdom and his character. And while this doesn't make everything magically better, it does move Job to respond with humility and repentance. From Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance." In summary, you know, to, to God showing up and engaging Job, Job sees God in a whole new light. And, and while maybe he doesn't have all the questions answered, there's something about God's presence in that moment that is exactly what Job needed. One of the areas that I'm trying to grow in is, is to be a better listener. And I got to tell you, this isn't really easy for me. Because when, when somebody presents me with a bad day that they had or a problem that, that they're trying to, trying to uh, work out or the problem they're wrestling with, my default is to want to give ideas for how to fix it. But the thing that I'm learning is that defaulting to naming various solutions, that is not always helpful, right? We know this. We've had experiences like this where we, we went to somebody that we, that we cared about and we just let loose about our day and they started naming solutions and we thought to ourselves, this isn't what I want. I want to be heard. I want to be seen. I want to be known in my experience right now. And I think in, those, in our experiences of suffering, that is even more so the case. And this leads us to our final observation this morning, that God invites us to process our experience of suffering with him. You know, in this final section of the book of Job, God speaks to Job's friends and he tells them that their ideas about God's justice, they were much too simple and they were not reflective of the complexity of the world and who God is. And in what he says to them, he says that Job actually has spoken rightly about him. From Job 42. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. That's an interesting line, because you know what? Uh, not everything that Job has said about God is right. It really isn't. Job was all over the place, accusing God of all sorts of things. His theology wasn't bang on. But... What God is approving of is about how Job wrestled with his suffering and came honestly with it to God with all of the emotions and pain that he had. That's what Job did right. See, what Job wanted was he wanted to talk to God himself about his pain, about his suffering, and God says, you know what, that's the right way to process suffering. That's the right way to process hardship. That the practice of going to God with the hard stuff in life, it will ultimately yield what it is that we are looking for. Now, the story of Job concludes rather abruptly after this point, with Job having his health and his family and his wealth restored. It's a feel-good ending. Um, and it's not, though, we shouldn't look at it as a reward for good behavior, but I think it's more of a generous gift from God. And that is the end of the story of Job. 
You know, when we are facing hardships, what we want, what I want, what we, I think we all want, is we want nice, neat, neat, tidy, clear answers. But I think that if we were honest with ourselves, such answers would feel trite, and, they would, they, they, they might, and that in our souls, we might feel like there's still something missing. And that reality can be disconcerting, can be uncomfortable. And that's where the book of Job, I think, can come in. Because Job is not about unlocking the puzzle about why bad things happen to good people. Rather, what it does is it invites us to trust God when we do encounter suffering rather than try to figure out all the reasons for it ourselves. Job, in the wisdom of Job, invites us to go to God with the hard stuff and to process this with him. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we pretend that everything's fine when things aren't. What this is not belittling our experiences that are legitimately hard and legitimately painful. But we are invited to be brutally honest with our pain, our grief, our longings, and to find in that honesty a connection with God, and that's what we need. And so as we conclude this morning, we're going to, con- we're going to conclude with a time of prayer, um, and I'm going to leave some spaces open for you to pray quietly uh, to God yourself, maybe bringing some of the things that are heavy on your heart this morning. And in many ways, what we're doing here is we're just practicing, Okay? This is not going to be the thing that magically makes the hardship go away and feel good. Rather, the experience of Job was a journey. I mean, it started by talking to his friends and then getting fed up with that and finding no answers there and then moved on to this experience of God where he was like, whoa, and then it kind of calming down to recognizing that there was something real there in his, in his connection with God. It didn't just happen like this. It wasn't one prayer time. It happened over a period of time. And so what we are practicing this morning is just is a step of rehearsing what it is that we have learned from Job as we pray. And so it's something that I hope that, that we will take with us uh, into this week as we process life. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you today for today. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship together, to meet with one another. Lord, there's something special that happens when we, are, uh, when we do this. And Lord, we want to acknowledge that. But Lord, at the same time, we recognize that there are things that have happened to us, that are happening to us, things that are happening to those around us. They just don't make a whole lot of sense. And if we're honest, make us kind of upset and angry and frustrated. Stuff that just feels like a lot. And so in these moments this morning, Lord, we just want to name those. God, some of us are are dealing with some significant health concerns right now. And we're not sure where things are going to go. Lord, others of us are struggling to know how we're going to pay the bills and how we're going to provide for our families. Some of us feel rather scared about the uncertainty of this week. We don't know what to expect, God. Other of us, Lord, are caring for loved ones, and the burden of that just feels like so much. Some of us, God, are seeking justice. There are things that have been done to us that have caused us a great deal of harm, Lord, and we, we are longing for answers, Lord. We are longing for some sort of uh, 
reconciliation and, and, and wholeness, Lord, but we don't know if that's going to come. Lord, as we look at the things happening in our world, we see natural disasters, we see man-made disasters, Lord. We see wars, we see threats of wars, we see economic instability. Lord, there's a lot out there. And for some of us, that is really hard to carry. Lord, this morning, if we are honest, we want to know why. We want to know why things happen to people who are good why there's suffering. We want to know why we don't have the things that we need, why we, we, we know people who are struggling. Lord, there's so much that doesn't seem fair, so much that doesn't seem just. And in fact, in those moments, God, we admit that we are kind of angry with you. Like we feel like you shouldn't let these things happen and we don't get it. God, in these moments, we want answers. We want to know why. Like Job, we want to demand that you respond to us. And in fact, God, this morning we are asking you to respond to the heartache that we carry, to the pain that, and the wounds. Because trusting you feels hard. But Lord, what we need most is you to be with us in this struggle. And so even in our doubts, even in our anger, Lord, we look to you and we say, Lord, would you help us to struggle with you and to meet you in that struggle? That we would know your wholeness and your joy, your love and your presence, your peace as a result. God, as we close this morning, we are going to sing a song that reminds us about how you won't fail us. And for some of us, God, this song is going to feel hard because of what we're dealing with right now. Lord, in these moments, we are grateful that you love us even when we have difficulty singing these words. And Lord, we ask that you would meet us here. For others of us, Lord, we are going to sing this song as a declaration, as a, as a, as a, a statement of faith that, God, we, we know that you are there. We want to experience your presence and the hard things, Lord, that we know that even when life is not good, when life is not easy, that, Lord, you have not left us. And so, God, this song is a statement of faith, a declaration of intent of who we want to be in our hearts and, and God, the relationship that we want to have with you. May we sing it for ourselves. May we sing it for those who can't this morning. Lord Jesus, as, I, as we conclude, I want to say thank you for who you are. That you are the God who comes up close. The God who mourns with us. The God who cries. The, the God who doesn't just expect us to get over it, but journeys with us. The suffering God who is there. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.